And speaking of great things coming up here on the show, one of my absolute favorite things to do is when I have the opportunity to bring uh, one of my special guests here that that is no stranger to the broadcast onto the show, and that is uh, Leo Routens. And Leo Routens has covered the Toronto Raptors for a very long time, a team that is near and dear to my heart that I appreciate so very much. And the Toronto Raptors, uh, with the opportunity uh, to to share this uh, with Leo Routens and to be able to talk with him about what's going on with the Raptors, there's been a lot of different things that have happened here, and, and obviously the Raptors are looking for new leadership and maybe potentially looking at their identity as they step forward here. So a lot of great stuff coming up with the Raptors, and hopefully we could see some things happening in the not-too-distant future for them as we step forward. So always a good time to uh, to have Leo on the show, and we appreciate him here. I'm great, Dan. How are you? Doing very well. And uh, first and foremost, if you can just share with us kind of what your takeaways have been as far as this this coaching search and trying to find the right guy and the right fit. Well, as far as the Toronto Raptors go, I mean, they're, they're not you know, going to be in any rush to find uh, the coach you're looking for. I think there's a, a they kind of hit a little bit of a crossroads with Nick Nurse. Uh, Nick Nurse was very much about trying to win. Uh, he tasted a championship. He wanted to win. Uh, he felt that, uh, you know, he really wasn't as much on the development side as Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster uh, wanted to be. Uh, and if you look through the history of the Toronto Raptors, at least with Masai Ujiri, uh, development has been a big part of what they did. Uh, even when they won a championship, you had players like Fred Van Fleet, undrafted, Norm Powell, second-round pick, Pascal Siakam, late first-round pick, uh, players like that being key contributors to a championship team. Uh, whereas, you know, recently, uh, Nick Nurse played his key players in heavy, heavy minutes. Recording um, in progress. Recording stopped. Yeah. You know, in heavy, heavy minutes, uh, not, uh, not really necessarily focusing in on development. So... Uh, you know, I, I think Messiah Jerry obviously wants to find somebody that's going to work on both sides of the ball, uh, making sure that, you know, you're on the same page. You're trying to, you know, deal with that development component as much as you are trying to win. And and and, and I think part of that is the Raptors feel that, uh, you know, if you look at the if you look at the NBA today, uh, I wouldn't say there's any great teams. There's a lot of good teams. And so the Raptors feel that they're close. Yeah. Uh, so that if you can if you can get the development going and you can find a piece or two here and there, uh, they feel they're right in the mix. So you know they want to make sure they do this right. And Leo, as you said, you said that uh, you know they're they're not in any rush to do this. You know, some fans want that immediate action, right? They want to know that you have a plan in place. You had an idea three, four, five months ago. the society we live in doesn't like to take its time. So when you said, you know, the Raptors are going to be, you know, very purposeful with their time and and go through this process, how have you seen the fan base react to the fact that this isn't like an immediate, yeah, this is our guy or we're down to two people and that's it? I think the fan base here pretty much understands how this organization works. Um, there's no knee-jerk reaction uh, with Masai Jerry and Bobby Webster, none at all. Uh, they don't share very much of what they're trying to do. Uh, 
uh, and they do nothing, nothing that doesn't fit into their long-term vision. Now, we may not know that long-term vision. Uh, again, they don't share a lot of, uh, they keep things close to the vest, which, you know, it's the way it should be. Um, but nothing they do doesn't fit into their long-term picture. So uh, they're going to make sure that, the, you know, they're going to find somebody that uh, can go along with the big plan uh, that they see that they're, they're, they're comfortable with and and go from there so i think the fan base the fan base understands that the fan base uh is pretty comfortable with who this management is and this management has been successful but you know dan we live in a we do live in a crazy world right now and and if you think about it you know you look at this miami uh you know boston series yeah you know joe was joe mazula man here here's a coach that uh you know they beat philadelphia and the only reason they beat Philadelphia is because Jason Tatum comes through with two monster games, you know, one at the end of the pre- his second last game and a huge game in the last game uh, to win to beat the Sixers. And the Sixers stars, Harden and Embiid, don't perform. That's why they won. But all of a sudden, you know, within a week, he can't coach and he's lost his team because they go down 3-0 to the Miami Heat. It's insane. And, and that, but that's the world we're living in. Everybody, everybody wants to judge everybody day to day, and and you know have something to talk about more than anything else. Uh, you know, if you're not talking about somebody getting fired, what are you talking about? It gets boring. So, you know, that's the world we live in, and it's unfortunate because it really it, it's illogical and it doesn't make sense. Uh, but people are buying into it. Yeah, you know, and, and going off of that point, speaking here with Leo Routens of TSN and NBA TV Canada in his coverage of the Raptor, Raptors as a TV analyst and obviously a Syracuse alum. We'll talk about Carmelo in just a little bit here. But, Leo, you know, you, you said it, you know, with what's going on. One minute, you know, here's a coach who needs to get fired. The next minute, oh, well, his team's still alive. In the case of Monty Williams and the Phoenix Suns, I mean, you look at what what's happened in Phoenix, how Phoenix is relevant, what they've done, the type of talent that they have, and he loses his job. Budenholzer with the Milwaukee Bucks wins a championship. He has them as the number one seed in the East, and he doesn't have that job anymore. So to go off of your point, we have already seen a knee-jerk reaction of two prominent teams in the NBA firing their head coach, who you would imagine would have that job and would have done enough, especially with Budenholzer. You know, it's uh, – you, you look at the one area of stability in this league, it's Miami. Yeah. And Eric Spolstra. Yeah. Now, you know, was Eric Spolstra making every right decision all along the way to get to this point? No. He learned the job. He's made mistakes along the way, as we all do. But Pat Riley has instilled the confidence in him and you know says hey we're going to work together we're going to get through this we understand you're a pro you're very good at what you do you're going to continually work at your craft that's all i can ask for uh and 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 as a result they have continuity they have that culture everybody talks about you can't develop a culture when you're changing coaches left and right yeah and and some of these places it's just okay i'm going to say it you look at philadelphia if you do you think you're going to win a championship with Embiid and harden do you really think so? Yeah. It's not Doc Rivers. <laughs> yeah. You have two. You have two players that underperform when it matters most. Okay, regular season, yeah, whatever they play. 
In the playoffs, they they historically underperform. And that's when your great players, your best players, have to step up. It's simple as that. It's a player's league. You could be the best coach in the world. When your players don't come to play, okay, you're not going to win. Right? You know, like I said, the example I gave you, if Tatum doesn't get hot – uh, at the end of at, at the end of one game where he couldn't make a shot and come back and score fifty in the next game, the six the Celtics don't beat the they don't, they don't beat uh, the Sixers right doesn't happen. So uh, you know your best players have to perform, and, and I said that by the same token, the best players in the Sixers underperformed. Yeah. and it's not Doc Rivers, okay? It's not Doc <laughs> Rivers, and it's not Joe Mazzulla, okay? These these are good coaches that put these teams in a position. Uh, to be successful, but ultimately the players have to be the ones that, 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 that get it done. I think Tatum said it the other night. He goes, Missoula didn't miss any shots. I did. Yeah. As simple as that. Yeah. And yeah. so you really, there's only one team in the league right now that's demonstrated that consistency uh, with Spolster. I think another one is the Denver Nuggets. If you, and, you know, Mike Malone, obviously with his Syracuse ties, his dad was an assistant at Syracuse and, uh, Mike Bowen was a ball boy when I played at Syracuse and also was an assistant coach for me for Canada. Uh, Mike Malone's been in a great situation. Uh, he was in a situation in Sacramento where they, they basically dumped him after half a season. Yeah. And he was doing well. But Sacramento has no clue as to what they're doing at the time. Uh, and they made a move. And Denver, Denver was wise enough to find him. And he's had a long tenure by NBA standards, yeah. and there's been development along the way. They've had players like Jamal Murray. You know, Jokic was a second-round pick, and they developed players. You look at you look at Aaron Gordon. To me, Aaron Gordon was close to being a bust. Uh, here's a guy that was a, a high pick, an unbelievable talent, but he just seemed like he didn't understand how to play the game. He frustrated coaches that he was playing for. Yeah. Mike Malone has turned him into a key player on a potential championship team. That's coaching. That's working with your players. That's developing. That's having patience. Uh, you know, Caldwell Pope, he's been on a few teams in this league, and he's made some shots, but he hasn't played at the level of consistency he's playing for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, he's there night in and night out. He's making plays, and he's doing a lot more just shooting the basketball because he's been put in that position and been developed. Uh, and that's what it's all about. And, and, and more teams need to understand uh, that that's, that's the best way to do it because it's very difficult to go out and just buy superstars. And if you want to look at that, look at, look at the Phoenix Suns. I mean, you get rid of Monty Williams. He didn't make all those changes in season. Yeah. He didn't all of a sudden bring in Kevin Durant. And I said it as soon as that trade was made. Okay, what are the chances of Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker all being able to be healthy throughout the course of this run? They, they, historically, you know, historically speaking, you're gonna it's gonna you're gonna realize it's probably not gonna happen, and it didn't happen. So you're gonna blame the coach? Come on! Uh, but that's again, as we said, that's the world we're living in. Yeah, you know, and you bring up great points with you know things, and I love what Jason Tatum said. You know, he's <laughs> coach isn't the one that missed the shots. I did. But, you know, as you look at this, and, and, I, and I love that you brought up the Sixers because Embiid and Harden, are you going to win a championship with them? No. You know, and, and were they going to win a championship beforehand with what they had with Ben Simmons? No. So it, there's, there's a lot to be said about, and Malone doesn't get the credit that he deserves, and I agree with you on that. 
seeing what he's done with the Denver Nuggets, I mean, this is a team that they take care of home court. They they have they were the number one team coming in. People talking about the Lakers, talking about everybody else, talking about Sacramento, talking about can Golden State get one more run? And here's Denver just taking care of business. And they're more than the Joker. They're more than simply one guy. And I, I just feel like watching Denver has been exciting. The other thing about it, Leo, is now there's only five franchises left in the NBA that have never advanced to the NBA Finals. You know, the Pelicans haven't done it. The Hornets haven't done it. I didn't believe this when I saw it, but the Clippers haven't done it. And the Timberwolves uh, have also not advanced forward into this uh, championship game in the Grizzlies. So when you look at that and you look at the fact that Denver has made history, they've never swept in the Western Conference because they've never won the Western Conference. What what does today's NBA look like? Because we talk, you know, we hear what they say about, you know, what does the media want to see? What 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 would sell tickets? What's good for TV? But Denver's on one side. It looks like unless Boston pulls a rabbit out of its hat, it's going to be Miami on the other side. People say, well, we want to see Boston and, and L.A. And I brought up on yesterday's show the whole notion, and you and I have talked about this, about the Raptors that it's like, oh, people didn't want to see that championship in 2019. There's not a lot of fans. There's not a lot of support. And I was like, who's telling you that information as far as attendance, as far, I mean, what other arena has people inside of the arena and then another arena outside the arena called Jurassic Park? So, you know, there, there's there's the difference between like the TV ratings and what's happening. What can you say about where we're at right now? Because Miami and Denver I can't stand hearing this notion, but people say it's it's not good for TV, and I don't like that. Well, again, that, that's TV people. It's Bean Connors talking about big markets playing against each other. Simple as that. They're not talking about the quality of basketball. They're not talking about the, what's good for the game. They're simply talking about rating. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that happened when the Toronto – remember, when the Toronto Raptors won the championship, that was at a time where teams were loading up on superstars, right? You got to get your three guys coming together, right? Let's all band together. Forget about being good where you are and trying to get better. Let's yeah. all switch teams and get together. Well, the Raptors, when they won a championship, they made a deal. They traded an all-star for an all-star, yeah. DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, a few other pieces involved in that deal. But everybody around the league, and I, I remember going to NBA meetings, um, after the subsequent to the championship prior to the next season. And teams around the league, franchises around the league, were genuinely happy for the Toronto Raptors for one reason. It gave them a vision. You don't need to go out and, and, and try to put all these superstars together. you got to build from within. All right? And if you can add that one player, all right, you can add that one guy, to tweak your team, maybe two, depending, but it doesn't have to be, you know, three big superstars, you can win a championship. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people got excited about that. And when you look at the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat, what have they done? They've built from within, they've developed players, they've tweaked and added, put players in a position to succeed. They have consistency, they have continuity. And you know what? They're fun to watch. I love watching the Denver Nuggets play. They get up and down the floor. That ball moves. They make the extra pass every time down the floor. Hey, you got a big man in Jokic. They can shoot the three, yeah. but he scores inside. He scores inside all the time. 
He's taking people inside. He plays off everybody. You can play off him. But as opposed to, hey, well, I want a big guy standing outside shooting threes. <laughs> I don't. Why do I want to watch a seven-footer stand outside shooting threes? Yeah. I want a seven-footer that's a seven-footer. If you can stand outside and knock down a few, that's great. If you could be a seven-footer and play inside and destroy people there, that's even better. Right? It's the best of both worlds, and that's what you get with Jokic. You know, Jamal Murray is an unbelievable talent. All right, I've known him since he was a high school kid up here in Can in Ontario. Um, you know, but look at the way he plays. The way those guys play off each other, the way that ball moves, and then defensively, Mike Malone, if you know one thing about Mike Malone, they're locked in defensively. This is a team that plays really good defense, and they understand that's what you're going to hang your hat on. Uh, and then you look at the Miami Heat, same thing. They hang their hat on their defense, and, and everybody's talking about Look at the all you know how many undrafted players on this team are making major contributions. Now that storyline is getting a little old. They're not all they're, they're not all undrafted players that just showed up today. Yeah. Okay. They're undrafted <laughs> players that have been involved in their program, so they're now seasoned NBA players. Yet at the same time, that's scouting, that's development, that's how they came to be. Uh, and and that's what it's all about. And, and so, like, people can say, oh, Miami, Denver. I love watching Miami, Denver. I love watching Jimmy Butler. I love watching the way this team will get after you. You know, uh, you know. and again, we were talking about Denver and the things I, they do. So if you don't enjoy watching those two teams and you don't understand what they're doing, then you don't know basketball. And if, you, if, it's, if you're just worried about big markets, well, guess what? I'd rather watch those two teams than watch some big markets go up and jack up threes and, and play lousy basketball. Yeah, you know, and, and I genuinely agree with that. LeBron James, you know, 38 years old, before we swing back to the Raptors here, speaking here with Leo Routens, what are your – I mean, what you – I know that he can score. This is how I view LeBron James. I know he can score. I know that he can carry a team at times. I also know that if someone touches him with a pinky, he flies across the room as if a ghost from Ghostbusters have, has lifted him up and thrown him across the arena. I don't like flopping. I, I don't like the special rules for LeBron. And when he's, you know, you brought up Aaron Gordon, when he's going back and forth with Aaron Gordon, I mean, I don't think there was, there was any call about what he was doing and, and kind of leaning into him, pushing him and all those, you know, all those pieces to it. I find it hard to if I was on a team I don't I wouldn't want to play with LeBron. But I would love to get your thoughts on it because we know he's a talent. I just don't like the way he goes about the game. Well, there's a lot of different levels to what you're saying right there. You know, I think he is a tremendous talent. Um you know, he's at a stage right now where, you know, the fact that he's doing what he's doing physically is mind-boggling. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Uh, but you can see, uh, just like the other night, he had an unbelievable scoring game in the first half, but he just ran out of gas down the stretch, uh, not being a factor scoring at all in the fourth quarter. I think he only had one bucket. But uh, the key is once you're, once you're at that point of your career, you really need the pieces around you. You know, and, and, you know, this is the funny part. Everybody's praising Rob Palenka, the Lakers. Oh, look at what he did. Look what he did. Like he brought all these. Yeah, that's after how many years of crap, right? You know, you're, yeah. you're, 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 you've got a bad team after bad team. 
all of a sudden you do things and everybody's just putting them up on a pedestal. Come on. It, it did, you know, you added some right pieces, but okay, here's the reality of it. If you want LeBron to be a major factor for your team, you've got to have pieces. He's now has to become that second, third guy. Yeah. And I think he has the mentality to do that. The ball's going to have to come out of his hands a little bit more. He's got to be more of a power forward, which we've seen him play because physically he's got the strength to do that. Um, and if you do that, he can still play this game uh, based on what I see with his body, you know, a few more years at a high level, just not being the superstar of the team. Uh, and like you said, there will be those games where he can, he can drop 40, but that's not going to happen on a nightly basis. So if Polinka does his job and they continue to supplement LeBron's, uh, you know, teammates, then, you know, you, he, he can really have a glorious end to his career. And I, again, I think he's got the, the, the understanding that he's got to step back a little bit uh, if he wants to have this. Uh, as far as, you know, the, I don't believe in LeBron rules. I don't think that's the case. I think that if you look at every major sport, the veteran players, the older guys, they know how to get called. Okay, whether it's a flop, whether it's putting an elbow in somebody's chin when and he retaliates, whatever it is, veteran players know how to get called. Okay, when when I was a player at a very different level, if I was playing against a young guy, I have a smile on my face because I know I can get a call, I can make a play yeah. pretty much whenever I want because of my experience. It's and, and so when players like LeBron. Uh, you know, uh, I used to hear it all the time about Michael Jordan, the Jordan rule. Come on. If you didn't foul Michael Jordan on every play, you had no chance of stopping him. <laughs> so where are, the, where are the Jordan rules? How exactly is he getting an advantage there? Uh, it makes no sense. You know, the, so to me, you know, and, and flopping and things like that, that's just part of this game. What, what makes it, you can hear the officials talk, yeah. Uh, in, in their NBA meetings every year. I mean, players are better and better at fooling the officials. Uh, and it's very difficult for the officials. One, it's a fast game. It's a physical game. Uh, it's an aggressive game. And now you have players that every year get better and better at trying to fool the officials. Yeah. So they're constantly trying to modify uh, interpretations of rules and so forth because players are just really good at, 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 at finding ways to get calls. So uh, that's up to the league and the officials to do a better job with that, but you can't blame it from a player's standpoint. If, if uh, you know, hey, I'm not a big flopping kind of guy, but if you're going to be able to get those calls and it can win you a game, guys are going to do it. Simple as that. And uh, uh, if they feel if certain officials going to bite on that call, uh, you're going to make the play for it. As much as, hey, as much as we all, uh, I love Jokic and the way he plays the game, he's a flopper, but that's international, right? That's international basketball. Those guys are really, really good at it. I mean, Vlade Divac was the original flopper coming into the <laughs> NBA. Well, guess what? Jokic is from the same same, the same the turf. So uh, these guys are really good at doing it, uh, and they get under your skin doing it, but guess what? Uh, they could do it to the point where it'll win a game. Yeah, it's just tough to watch. It's just tough to see. I understand. I understand that, you know, people trying to get a foul. It's just, especially, and LeBron's just look, 
crazy. I think Shaq's looked crazy too because I mean Shaq's massive. You know, Bugsy Bo- Muggsy Bogues comes up and taps him on the knee, and you know he goes down like a ton of bricks. There's just moments that look bad on a replay, but to swing back to the Raptors here, we we hear that there's the notion that some people say the Raptors are in this purgatory where they're not going to win a championship with the roster they have, but they can still make the playoffs with the roster that they have. So it's, do they go full rebuild? Do they add a few more pieces? Where are they at? How do they get out of this limbo of we're good enough to get to the postseason, but we're not good enough to win consistently in the postseason or to get far in the postseason? Do you believe in the notion of the Raptor purgatory? And where do you think this roster is at right now? Well, was Miami in purgatory? I mean, it, it, well, where did they finish? Right. And who thought who thought they could be where they are? Well, guess what? It's it's you hit you 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 put it together at the right time. You get in your groove. Maybe the other team. Hey, they start out the series with Milwaukee. Giannis and Federico hurts his back. Right. Yeah. So certain certain things can fall into place. Yeah. And that's what you never know. Uh, look at the, I mean, the Los Angeles Lakers, I mean, they, they were, they were done. And all of a sudden they got a chance to, you know, maybe get to the NBA finals. Yeah. So uh, there's not that much separation between a lot of these teams. So I wouldn't look at it as purgatory. I just say uh, there's a pretty decent core with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, you need shooting. Uh, I think you need additional size. Uh, you need a bigger backcourt. But if you can add those things to the quarter you have, and most of all, stay healthy, uh, you look at one of the things for the Miami Heat, they weren't healthy all season long, right? They, it took them forever until the, until the latter part of the year before they could get their act together uh, and make a run. And so Raptors is no different. If they can stay healthy and they can tweak this roster, they're close. I mean, there's not that much. I mean, you look at the regular season, uh, you know, they, they beat the Heat. They beat, you know, they beat all these teams. Yeah. Uh, so there's not that much difference. The question is, how can you tweak your team? How can you get, uh, you know, uh, like I said, bring in pieces to to augment the ones you have? Maybe you make a trade. Maybe you move one of those pieces. Maybe maybe you've plateaued uh, somewhat with the pieces you have, and now you have to move one or two. Uh, depending on what you get back. So uh, to me, it's not purgatory. It's just the nature of the game. Uh, no different than Nick Nurse. I mean, uh, sometimes at a certain point, maybe a different voice is not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the, the development component, but sometimes just having a, a different voice in a locker room can make a big difference. I think when the Raptors had Dwayne Casey uh, and they switched over to, to Nick Nurse, that was a great example of that. Uh, you know, Dwayne Casey did a great job for the Raptors, but it just seemed to plateau. Uh, they needed a, they needed something extra, uh, and they brought in Nick Nurse, and 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 you had a whole different kind of outlook with that team. So, uh, like I said, I, I think that's one of the reasons that Masai Jerry and Bobby Webster haven't made any ridiculous moves or or like I said, knee jerk reactions because they know they're not that far off from a lot of teams we're watching today. So what can you do to? I guess I don't. I'm not. I don't believe in rebuilds. Uh, it, it's hard enough to get good players. Yep. It's hard enough to build the system. 
to blow it up, uh, that's that's a fan's notion. That's uh, yeah. You hear fans say it all the time. Okay, you do blow it up. Come on, you know, uh, you know. Look at teams. Uh, look at teams trying to battle for that number one pick this year. Like, what did you know? For a lot of these teams, what did it get you? Nothing, right? So, uh, you know, uh, San Antonio, San Antonio, uh, once again is able to get a, a, a potential franchise, you know, saving big. So. You never know what happens, and, and and again, I'm not I'm not for the rebuild. Yeah, you know, and and like you said, I mean, there could be trading. You know, you could utilize some of those transactional uh, pieces. Is there anybody in free agency, Leo, that that you look to that you think would be a good fit, a good piece? I mean, you've been around this game, you've played this game, you know, you've watched your son play. I mean, you've you've lived basketball for such a long time and you've analyzed this Toronto Raptors franchise for many, many years. So when you look at it and and you've seen it from the inside and, and you can speak on it better than most, is there a piece or two that's out there right now that you're enticed to, if you were sitting in that seat, make a phone call for? Well, there's a lot of guys you make a phone call for. That doesn't mean anything. Right. I mean, that, you hear fans say it all the time. Why don't you go get this guy? Well, it's that simple. You're just going to say you want him and he's coming. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And uh, so there's a lot of guys that, that could help this organization. But uh, who can you get? Who's available? Who's, you know, who wants to come here versus going there? Uh, there's so many factors that come into play. You know, which players, you know, uh, what coach are you going to have? that may may have influence on some of these players um you know what, what deals that you have you know what what potential deals do you have uh, or are thinking of that may impact who you bring in right so it's way too early uh to figure that out at this point uh, until they solidify a few different things but like i said to me uh, the Raptors made a great deal picking up Jakob Pertl in, in in season. Yeah. To me, it was one of the best. It was one of the best trades at the deadline uh, that nobody talked about because you got a guy that was very familiar with the system. Remember, they traded him when they brought in uh, Kawhi Leonard, yeah. and they got back a guy that was seasoned by Popovich at the San Antonio Spurs. So he's a very good player. Really understands the game. Solid guy at both ends of the floor. So I would want another bid. You got to have you got to have a, you got to have two bids. You have to. You got to have uh, even if it's for the six fouls. You got to have another bid. Yeah. Uh, the Raptors seriously lack shooting. Uh, yeah. I'm not like you look at the Miami Heat, and you have shooters. All right. You got Struess. You got uh, Robinson. You got if he's healthy. You got Hero. You got shooters. And this whole league wants. Yeah. Right. Everybody wants athletes and they want to make them shooters. There's a difference between athletes and shooters. You need shooters. And, 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 you know, you can take shooters and develop the rest of their game, but you need shooters. So I think the Raptors are, are desperate in that regard. Uh, Frontline backboard shooters. And the other thing is if you, if you do retain Fred Bembley, uh, he's a small point guard, uh, and you need size. You need somebody, a backup point guard, somebody who can play the lead role, backup role uh, with Fred 
when, while Fred's out of the game that has size, that can run a team, and that can guard. Uh, the Raptors are real big on two-way players, right? If you can't guard, you know, it's a problem. So, uh, you know, again, it's really early now uh, with so many variables up in the air about this team. But uh, those are issues that I I would want to address immediately. And if and if uh, if they can address those issues, I mean, this team can right, be right in the thick of it. Yeah, you know, and, and that's – and like you said, I mean, early because you don't have the coach – just wanting to get your thoughts looking at, you know, what's out there in free agency, some pieces, but I do agree with you. And you addressed, you know, you addressed the two way, they got to be able to play on both sides. You address the backcourt, you address shooting and you address the big. And and that's, I mean, obviously the Raptors clearly need help in those areas coaching wise. And we talk about what's set out there and, and some people write stories just so you'll click on it. And some of them might have some weight. I see J.J. Redick, I see Steve Nash, I see Monty Williams. You know, you you see different names. When I saw J.J. Redick, that kind of threw me off because I didn't understand any of that. But seeing what we've seen with, you know, just candidates and thoughts and and, and a lot of these boards, you know, sometimes it's, it's just a wish list that has no connection to it. I mean, I remember every year that Mike Hopkins was an assistant at Syracuse toward the tail end, he was going to 15 different places. Not because he was, but because people just wanted to talk about it. And I remember they, they said he was going to Boston College, and there was nothing to that. So your take on what we've heard, Raptor, coaching-wise, is there any viable name that you've heard out there that, that actually, that from what you've read and what you've seen and what you know, you're like, okay, this could make sense? Or is this just too early and people are just throwing names out there to write stories? Well, people are definitely throwing names out there to write stories. That's a normal, you know, protocol for today's today's sports, right? But uh, again, the you know you don't hear anything from the Raptors. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about this stuff. So I could tell you all kinds of stuff, but that's just my opinion uh, because they're not talking, they're not sharing, they never do. So you know what they're looking for is all I can tell you is whoever they get has got to fit in their long term picture. Whoever they get has got to want to be part of development. Okay, it's got to be part of the program. Uh, and whoever they get has got to buy into the style that they want to play. They want two-way players that can be extremely aggressive and influence the game at both ends of the floor. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of candidates. And, you know, I, I don't have an issue with uh, uh, like a J.J. Reddick. Well, he hasn't coached. Okay. Doc Rivers didn't coach. You know, you can go through the list of a player, uh, guys that went from the booth or from playing into coaching, and they've had a reasonable amount or a great amount of success. Um, I think that if you do get somebody like a J.J. Reddick, what really matters is the staff, you know, who's around him, what veteran experience, what coaches are going to be around him, uh, they're going to help him make this adjustment and transition in the coaching. Uh, you know, he, Steve Nash, I mean, not only would he be as flash as a Canadian, but Steve Nash, if you look at his record with the Nets, it was good. The problem is he was dealing with garbage every single day. <laughs> he didn't know yeah. He didn't know who was going to be playing and who wasn't going to be playing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when he, when he 
when he had all his pieces, they were really good. And we didn't have all his pieces. They were still pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he really never had a fair shake uh, at the coaching. And and remember, a point guard is a coach. Steve Nash was a coach when he played. I mean, he ran Mike D'Antoni's system. Uh, He knows that system. He was a consultant at Golden State before he took the coaching job. And everybody loves the way Golden State plays the game. Today's the modern-day game. So, um, you know, there's a lot of names that are going to come up. Uh, but, again, all those variables that we talked about have to come into play. So uh, your guess is as good as mine, ultimately, who it's going to be. But they're not going to rush making the decision. And coming from Leo Routens here. Leo, final note. Here we get the lottery, 13th. Overall pick, I think the Raptors had a 1% chance of getting the number one pick in the lottery this year. And so 13th in every mock draft that I've looked at has shown guard, has shown, you know, some of some of the similar names. And I'd love to get your thoughts on, I know we've talked about what they need and where they can go and in free agency and different things that can open up when the season ends and whatnot and, and what guys are happy here or want to move over there. But in this draft at the 13th overall pick, we all a lot of people feel like we know number one is done. But beyond that, there's a lot of variables and things that can affect and change who gets drafted. With the Raptors getting a higher pick this year, what are your thoughts on, on them pulling number 13? I mean, nothing you can do about it. This draft, from my, you know, talking to scouts and everything, that, you know, the top – the top of this draft is is heavy. It's good. Uh, beyond that, it's not necessarily a great draft. Yeah. So that's where your scouting really comes into play. Uh, you know, you're you're really going to have to do your homework. You're really going to have to dig deep. Maybe that pick becomes part of a package, right? Maybe that pick becomes part of a package if you decide to move uh, one of your core guys. Um, so you know. Uh, you know, again, it's very early, uh, and you don't, like I said, you don't have a coach. It's very early in the process. Um, I wouldn't even begin to speculate on uh, who that person would be other than the fact of what their needs are that we talked about. Um, but, uh, you know, at this stage, anything can happen with that pick. Yeah, and I think it, whatever it is, you know, the draft is is Thursday, June 22nd, and you'd hope that your leadership is kind of in place and is more than prepared when it comes to making those decisions as we step forward. Carmelo Anthony, you went to Syracuse. Carmelo also went to Syracuse, won that national championship in 2003. The last time that – well, I can't say the last time, but one of the times that I went up to see the Raptors – was when Carmelo, this like, it feels like a hundred years ago because everything with COVID, I couldn't go up for a couple of years, but I did see Carmelo play Toronto and I'll never forget that seeing him come into the building. And obviously it was later on in his career. He didn't play a full game, came out in the third quarter and whatnot, but Carmelo Anthony, 19 seasons for everything he's done. I know he didn't win a championship and I don't like when guys are simply regarded upon that. What he did for Syracuse will never be forgotten. His longevity in the NBA, I don't think, should ever be forgotten. And in a lot of ways, he's he's been a feel-good story for a lot of different places. And with the Denver Nuggets, you know, that's that's the last time besides this time that we really 
saw them, you know, get into the playoffs and rise in, in recent history. What are your thoughts on fellow Syracuse Orange Carmelo Anthony and him hanging it up after 19 seasons, almost two decades in the NBA? Well, it's kind of sad that, uh, you know, I think he still had a little gas in his tank. I thought, you know, Agreed. like he played with Portland down the stretch. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he did a good job. I, I thought, you know, we mentioned this with LeBron. I thought he realized he finally he can't, he realized that he, he can't be uh, he can't be the Carmelo of old. Yeah. He's got to take a role. He's got to he's got to contribute where he can. And like LeBron. Uh, with the game the way it is today, Carmelo could slide in that power forward position and overpower players. And uh, so I thought he did a good job down the stretch of or the twilight of his career. And I was kind of surprised that nobody, uh, you know, let him let him kind of go out maybe on his terms. Yeah. But uh, you know, he's had an incredible career. He's a great scorer in this league. Uh, he was an Olympian. Uh, one of the most decorated Olympians uh, for the United States. Uh, you know, what Carmelo did at Syracuse was uh, just a, a historical season. Uh, one of the greatest, not only seasons in uh, Syracuse history, but the NCAA. Uh, you know, looking back on that year, it was just, just an amazing, amazing run. So, you know, it, it's... Uh, you know, I think, and, and, you know, he's done a lot of good. I mean, he's done a lot of good outside of basketball, uh, even with his university, with the, you know, the Carmelo Center. Uh, is that what they call it? I'm not sure what they call it. But, Carmelo uh, Center, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carmelo. Yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the practice facility, the whole yep. bit that, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a guy that hasn't forgotten, you know, where he came from uh, and his roots. I know he's always, always had a great relationship with Jimmy Beheim and, and the other, the other coaches and, 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 uh, people at the university. So, you know, I'm, I'm, um, uh, it's always sad to see a guy, you know, step away. Yeah. Uh, especially when, again, it's not exactly on his terms, but, uh, Carmelo just had, uh, had one heck of a career. And, you know, look at his time in New York. You know, I remember when he came to New York, Andy was on that team. And, uh, uh the sad part about that was, James Dolan really kind of screwed Carmelo's career in New York because uh, he wanted Melo now. Yeah. He wanted Melo immediately. And Masai Ujiri was in Denver. He was making a deal on the other side. And all he did was wait. He sat there. And Dolan, and I remember talking to other people in the Knicks organization, they said, you know what? All we got to do is wait. Carmelo will come here in the offseason. As soon as this season's over, he's coming. And Dolan said, now, now, now. And they gave – and, and the Knicks were a pretty good team. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Andy was on that team, and they were playing great basketball uh, at the midseason point, and they gave away half that team to get Melo. Yeah. And and had, had, had uh, James Dolan stayed out of it, Carmelo Anthony would have come to New York with a great surrounding cast and who knows what could have happened instead of people blaming him for every time they lost after that. So, uh, you know, so many things happen around the player uh, that lead to circumstances that, uh, you know, sometimes it's laughable. But, uh, you know, if, if you want to criticize Carmelo Anthony for any part of his New York career, 
uh, skip him and go right to James Dolan because he's the guy <laughs> that screwed it all up. Yeah, I mean, and you look at it, you go you go back and see uh, Wilson Chandler, Raymond Felton, Danilo Gallinari, uh, then Mozgov as well. The Knicks 2014 first-round draft pick, the Warriors 2012 second-round pick, the Warriors 2013 second-round pick, $3 million in cash. It was cash. a joke. Yeah. It was a joke. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy to look back at all of this and say, I mean, they gave up the house for him. So, and, and, and again, and the New York Knicks <laughs> management that yeah. I spoke to at the time said all we had to do was wait for the offseason. Yeah. Okay. And they were having, they were having a great year. So it wasn't like this team is in the dumps. Fans were excited. D'Antoni was there. They were getting up and down the floor. They're winning games. Stoudemire was playing great. Everything was good. Then all of a sudden you just get rid of this team, uh, you know, to make the deal. So it, it was uh, just another asinine move uh, on the part of James Dolan. But, uh, you know, again, unfortunately, you know, Carmelo can't do anything about that, nor anybody else can. Even their own management couldn't do anything about it. Now, I just remember that. I was like, well, he got to the Knicks and he got what he allegedly wanted, but there's nothing around him now. So the whole, like, why couldn't he win in New York? Well, you gave up the team to bring in one player. So you yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it was great to have him in New York, but also not great for the situation of, you know, the locker room being raided in order to get him there. With that being mm-hmm. said, Leo Routens, TV analyst for TSN and NBA TV Canada, covering those Toronto Raptors very well. And, of course, with an eye on the NBA in general. Leo, as always, I appreciate it. I thank you for being a part of the show. And as soon as – we figure out some leadership coming up for Toronto. I definitely want to have you back on and as the draft gets closer, but I appreciate your friendship and you've always made time for me. And I'll never forget when I came a couple hours early and you brought me into the arena, showed me around and, and I got a really cool experience in Toronto. So you've, you've always been somebody who's thought of other people and never, you know, gotten an ego in the world that you live in. You've always been good to people. You've been good to me and, I think you need to shout out the people that do that. So thank you for that. I appreciate you, Dan. I appreciate you. You're a hard worker. You're a grinder. And uh, I got to appreciate that. Thank you. I'll talk with you soon. All right. Take care. That coming here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets that thing called life. We appreciate you being here every single Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We're going to take a step aside for a fast break, and we apologize. Uh, We were trying to get Leo on video and had every intent of having him on video, and I in my studio could see him on video, but you could not. So, you know, that's, that's the breaks of, you know, going live. And sometimes the things work, and sometimes they're, they don't. So... You know, we you did get to see his face and you got to hear his voice and you got to hear his message, which is the most important thing. So I'm happy that we had the opportunity to showcase him in that respect and and to have him here on the broadcast. So always appreciate it and uh, can't thank him enough for it to have him here. So definitely want to thank Leo Routens and all the work that he's done and the amazing person that that he is, because his hard work, his dedication, his determination everything that, you know, he has done is, is always, I mean, he's, when I talk Raptors, I go to Leo. So, you know, and, and in general, I think he's a fantastic mind. He's a good person and I'm about having good people here on the show. And it's, it's always mattered to me, the quality and the character of the individuals that we bring on to wake up call.